Hey, Antioch family, I'm so grateful that you've come to worship with us again, to all of our visitors and friends. Thank you for being here. Listen, we have been meeting on this virtual platform for over a year, but I'm pleased to announce that on June the 27th, we'll be meeting right here in person at 9 and 11 at 350 Pine in the heart of downtown Long Beach. I'm so excited. I can't wait to be with you. Uh, So mark your calendars and make plans to be right here with us in person. But today is Pentecost Sunday, and there is a word I believe is going to meet us right where we are. If you have your Bibles, grab those. Your devices, grab those. Something to write with, something to type on. I believe it will be worth your while as we prepare to go in the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for another day. We're grateful for another Pentecost. May this not simply be something we commemorate, but we ask that you breathe fresh life into us, fill us afresh for everything you have before us. May you be glorified today and forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you, if you will, to meet me in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, and it reads, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these the men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hear them in our own native language, Parthians and Medes, Eliamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene? Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking them, saying that they are filled with wine. But Peter, my man Peter, Standing with the eleven, lifted his voice to address them, men of Judea and all who dwell here in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. As we not only reflect on this Pentecost celebration in the Bible, but celebrate Pentecost Sunday today, I want to cause you to see a narrative 
a theme that's running through this narrative that in my estimation has been buried by so many. I want to challenge you today to hear and see an emphasis that rarely comes to mind when we think about Pentecost. Pentecost being 50 days after Passover. And here there was significance because Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit was going to come and fill them, empower them to do everything he commanded them to do. And so as they gathered and prayed in this In this upper room, something unusual happened. They were filled with the Spirit. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. Everyone who was there heard them in their own language. And we find the church being established in in power. While that's a familiar passage of Scripture, again, I want to dig up a narrative that has been buried, I believe, for far too long that's nestled in this, this, this story of Pentecost, this account of Pentecost. Usually on Pentecost, the emphasis is on what happened in that room where the apostles and followers of Jesus gathered and the miraculous events that follow from that point forward, the, the visible tongues of fire that came and rested on them, the auditory miracle of people hearing them in their own native tongue. This often causes us to zero in on the experiential supernatural encounters associated with Pentecost. And and that's good. That's great. I love it. I believe with all my heart that anything we see present in the life of the first century church or at the establishment of the church is necessary until we go to be with Christ forever. There's a place, there's a a purpose for, for it. I don't believe there's anything we should omit from the spiritual gifts and the empowerment of the Spirit. Everything that was necessary over 2,000 years ago is necessary today. I I celebrate, again, the experiential supernatural encounters associated with Pentecost. But but I want to clarify, I, I want you to understand that while all manifestations of the Spirit, whether miraculous in appearance or seemingly practical, are in fact supernatural. We find in 1 Corinthians, as Paul is talking through in 11, he's talking through the gifts of the Spirit as there was some confusion there. He is sharing that these gifts, in a different way, they're actually manifestations of the Holy Spirit, which means they're all supernatural because they're rooted Not only rooted, they are the outworking of the Holy Spirit through us as individuals. Whether it's teaching on one hand and miracles on the other hand. Most of us label teaching as practical and miracles as supernatural or um, prophecy as supernatural and the gift of helps as practical. But all of these things are supernatural. For the sake of clarity, I want to say again, while all manifestations of the Spirit, whether 
miraculous in appearance or seemingly practical or supernatural, there are deeply established theological and sociological implications at the heart of this Pentecost account that we just read, and most of us don't see it. Because our emphasis is always on the clear and dramatic expression of the Holy Spirit on the tongues that came down and rested on them of fire, of them spilling out into the streets as they're fulfilled with the power of the Spirit and as people from all nations are hearing them in their own native tongue. That is where our emphasis usually goes. And that's a beautiful place for it to go. But as everyone is confused, and I want to say there are always two groups of people whenever there's a move of God. We find those same two groups in this passage. There are some who are intrigued by what they see. They lean in and say, I wonder what this all means. There's another group in this passage that just labels the disciples, the apostles, as men who are drunk. They dismiss them. And their activity is laughable. And in the middle of this, this, this chaos, in the middle of these erroneous evaluations, Peter stands up full of the Spirit and says, these men are not drunk. And it's so funny. Forgive me for sliding this joke in here on a, like a serious Sunday, but it, it always strikes me that, that Peter doesn't say they are not drunk. They are apostles filled with the Spirit. He says they're not drunk. It's too early. <laughs> not to suggest that they were ever drunk, but that's always funny to me. He says, listen, guys, no, 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 no. They haven't been drinking. It's too early. In the middle of this, we find Peter standing up and giving clarity concerning what these individuals are observing here on this Christian Pentecost. I believe the words contained in the proclamation of Peter serve as an urgent message to our own society today that will reframe life as we know it based on the words and intentions of the Messiah and the presence of the Holy Spirit. As Peter stands and speaks, he speaks forward or speaks forth the oracles of God. He makes sense of the mess. He, he contextualizes what's happening. But in that declaration from Peter, Again, most of us are wired to see the, the dramatically supernatural. So we focus on the tongues. We focus on the apostles spilling out into the street. We focus on the miracle of everyone hearing them in their own language. We emphasize the, son, the sons and daughters prophesying, and we emphasize prophecy. But there is, again, a theme that runs through this narrative that has been buried by so many. We're going to get to that in a minute. But here as, as Peter stands, as the, 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 the apostles are declaring what they're declaring as the Spirit gave them utterance, 
and people are hearing them in their own native language, you cannot help but see this prophetic sign. And that is, this seems to be a reversal of what took place in Babel. And, and when they went to go build the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, as they came together to build this, erect this tower. They said, let us build a tower to heaven. Now, they weren't attempting to build a tower to reach God's dwelling, but it was most likely a ziggurat. It's a, a, a tower or a pyramid-like structure with steps that go higher. In that day and age, in ancient Mesopotamia, it was called the gateway of the gods. It was not necessarily that people could get to a deity, but it was a tower erected for a deity to pronounce blessing or a, a gateway to bless that town, to bless that area, to bless that city, to bestow blessings. When they said, let's build a tower to heaven, what they were actually saying is, let us build a tower that is so impressive because those towers are what gave a city their prominence. They gave a region its prominence. The more glorious a tower was, the more prominence that city had. God did not scatter their language and the people because he was intimidated by human ingenuity or ambition, but rather by misplaced motives. Because as they talked about building this great tower, they would be judged by as people would come into that area or people would come into that region. Listen to their words. They said, come, let us build a tower for ourselves. Come, let's do this for ourselves. They had misplaced motives. God said when he saw that, he, he scattered their efforts. But we find this divine reversal here at Pentecost. It is not the scattering of people or the scattering of languages, but everyone hears and understands the apostles in their own tongue, he reverses Babel. At Babel, their motives were misplaced and God scatters them. Here at Pentecost, as the apostles gathered together, the disciples gathered together to pray, to seek God, to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit, he saw the motives and intentions of their heart were pure, and he releases what he had promised. And this time they are not scattered, but they are gathered. When they spill out into the streets, everyone is able to miraculously hear them in their own language, which shows God. God now is blessing supernaturally the work of his servants. He's establishing his church. He's fulfilling his promises. Peter's message gives us the corporate heart and intent of God and giving us the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you look carefully enough, you'll find again that theme in this groundbreaking message from Peter. 
And it's not one that is simply pointing to the things we emphasize as it relates to the apparently supernatural, experiential, dramatic manifestations of God. While all that is necessary, those dramatic manifestations were meant to not only point to something, but to set certain things in order. While it was dramatic to mark the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit didn't just come to put on a show. The Holy Spirit came to accomplish the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came to dwell in us, to carry out the work of God in and through us, to give us the ability to accomplish what would be impossible for us to accomplish by ourselves in and of our own strength. And some of that has to do with healing the sick. Some of that has to do with the gifts that we spoke of. Some of that has to do with those things we normally emphasize when we look at this. But it also has to do with setting things that are out of order in order. It also has to do with the establishment of the church. It also has to do with the ability to love people that offend you. It has the ability, it also is tied to, again, the sort of resilience needed to push against adversity. There is so much that the Holy Spirit's presence brings. I can go on and on. I could speak all year long about the power, the presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to lift a few things out of this passage, out of Peter's message, I think are relevant for us today. And these things have been obscured. They have been eclipsed by other themes in this second chapter of Acts. As I shared some of them have even been buried. There are a few things we need to reclaim as we look at this day of Pentecost. First thing we find here is that each heard in their own language. The language gaps that segregated them were temporarily removed to serve as a prophetic symbol for the unfolding of the future plans of God. I want you to see this. There is something in the fact that they heard in their own language and for the first time with one declaration, they were able to understand in their own native language. Yeah, this was to mark a reversal from Babel but it was also to serve as a telltale sign of what God wanted to accomplish ultimately. We emphasize often the language, tongues, and miss the prophetic statement, and here it is, that barriers are being removed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We say that again. Barriers and the dividing lines and things that separate at the coming presence of the Holy Spirit, or the, where there's the prominent presence of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we should see manifested, not only at that moment, but throughout history, should be the remove, removing of barriers and boundaries 
that keep us separated and segregated and siloed. Verse 17 says, not only were they able to hear in their own language. Listen to what verse number 17 says. It says, Peter looks back at the prophet Joel and says, this is that which prof the prophet Joel, this is the tangible happening, the tangible manifestation of what Joel was talking about in the Old Testament. He said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Watch this theme. Number one, there is the removal of the things that create boundaries between us and there is unity where there has been separation. Here he says again, notice the theme. I will pour out my spirit on all people. God not only desired for there to be the closure in the language chasm, but the eradication of hostility with regard to the cultural divides. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Pastor, you're exaggerating that because these were all devout men. They were actually coming for, even though they were in different places and spoke different languages, they were coming to observe this high holy day Pentecost. They were all devout people already. They just spoke different languages. I get it, but I believe with all my heart this was a telltale sign because this was more, was later, it was more expressly declared to Peter in Acts 10 when he had his vision in Acts 10, he had this vision, and when he sought understanding concerning the vision, God was giving him a snapshot, a picture. He says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. There are those outside of our Jewish camps. There are those outside of the called out chosen people of God I'm getting ready to bring into this fold. Yeah, Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking down the wall of hostility, not only in between people and God, but in between individuals. Jews and Gentiles are going to be one in Christ. The promises, the great and perfect promises, not only of eternal life, but life, here, and life more abundantly right here on earth, are, will not only be extended to people that were historically my chosen people, but they will be extended to everyone. Paul's message was to target the Gentiles directly. And here we see the in seed form what will begin to happen in the life of the church from there forward. He emphasizes the idea that the Spirit of the Lord will be poured out on all people. There is our thread of commonality. This is not only about the dramatic supernatural encounter, but notice this theme of unification. Notice this theme of hostility dropping. Notice this theme of God's Spirit being poured out on all flesh. It's important to note here that this is not the shedding of distinct cultural identity, but the removal of the sort of religious pecking order and sense of priority that leads to social conflict. He said, listen, 
when the Spirit of God comes, y'all are not secondary or second-class children of God. There are no second-class children of God. There are no insiders and outsiders. And for all of those that are dealing with a chosenness complex, let me help you out real quick. As it relates to God, all of us are chosen by him, grafted into the family of God. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your language. He shows here that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. It is a missing narrative of Pentecost. No one people group would serve as the bearers of God's promise or power. People are still getting this tripped up today. Depending on your political party, some depending on your race, others depending on the nation you're a part of. You assume and we speak about the, the blessing of God just resting on an individual or a person or a group or a particular nation. But what he's saying is, listen, everyone has a right to this. Everyone can get in on this party. Everyone could be a part of the family of God. You have no right to look down your nose at anyone who is in the family of God. You are not more spiritually pious based on your ethnicity. Because he pours, he says now here, his spirit on all flesh. Let's dig up. Let's brush off. Let's allow that narrative to emerge that's been buried. I praise God for the hearing miracle. I praise God for the spirit giving them, allowing them to speak as he gave them utterance. I appreciate all of those things. I appreciate the emphasis of prophecy that, we, that emerges from this scripture. Those of us who love all that God has, have tended to do. But as we've celebrated those things, we've caused or allowed the radiance of all those things to overshadow or to blind us to what's plainly stated here. There is a theme. There is a theme. That there is no cultural superiority. There is a theme here that spirit will be given liberally on everyone or to everyone who names the name of Christ. First number 17 also says this. Listen to notice this, notice this theme, notice this thread. He begins to do the same thing in categories. He says, Your sons, not only would your spirit be poured, his spirit be poured out on all flesh. He needs to clarify and specify. He, he gets even more specific here. Because there are some that don't hear that the right way. God says, I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh, and we assume that there are different measures depending on whatever our hang-up is. And some people's hang-up is not ethnicity. Some people's hang-up is gender. <laughs> That's why I love what he says here in verse number 17. He gets more specific. Just in case you need me, me, me to clarify, he says, both your sons and daughters, men and women, he says, would prophesy. This is both significant and radical for that time. He, he says uh, some of those categories we have are, are broken down. 
The assumption that, that, that men, you have the, the market cornered on this thing. He says, I want you to understand as it relates to the pouring out of God's spirit and the ability to declare his oracles, to, to prophesy in authority. He said, listen to me, both men and women will receive it. Or both men and women will prophesy. While there were four in the Old Testament, five in the New Testament, counting Philip's four virgin daughters, the statement was declared to close the gap and to sow equality of anointing to function and to declare. For those who still have a problem with women standing to declare in the church, note that prophecy is standing to declare the authoritative oracles of the living God. And if you think you're standing in your maleness, <laughs> let me remind you, none of us are standing in our own authority, power, righteousness, or gender expecting things to move or power to be released. <laughs> But it is the authority of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that anything God is building is released. He says this, this Pentecost, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of these promises are not only for this dramatic display that you see, but it is to let you know that the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. It is to close the, the chasm of hostility between cultures, between races, between uh, people of varying ethnicities. It is to close the gap, not only there, but it is to close the gap or to, to empower both men and women to stand flat-footed to declare what thus saith the Lord. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. We're almost there, but let's go a little bit further in verse number 17. He says, young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. What a beautiful kingdom sight. He hits Language difference, cultural difference, gender difference. But now as we look at this, he speaks to a multi-generational and intergenerational vision. One of the challenges with so many of the so-called new movements is that they don't leave room for old people. Let me say that again. One of the challenges I have with so many of the new movements is that they don't leave room for old people. And that disposition is never God's will. As long as there's breath in your body, there should be a place in the kingdom of God for you. We've got to stop pushing our elders aside. We've got to stop pushing those who are not where we are in their journeying with God aside. Notice the nuance in the passage. Young and old. They both have function, but it's not the same thing. We get into a lot of trouble trying to get various generations doing the same things without requiring all to evolve. 
He leaves room for young and old, but makes it clear that the young have vision, the old have dreams. There, there is a difference in what they are receiving and contributing, but there's a place for both. You know, I remember growing up, um, not growing up, but in my teenage years, there was so many, every youth conference that, that was happening, they, they talked about the Joshua generation, the, the Joshua generation, the generation that, if you remember the, the biblical narrative, as they were coming out in Exodus, they wandered the wilderness with Moses. Moses dies and Joshua is the one that leads them into the promised land. So every youth conference, they used to say, this is the Joshua generation. And I understand that symbolically. But practically, let me, let me just clarify this for you. Both Caleb and Joshua were senior citizens. <laughs> More accurately, we can call our next senior citizen conference the Joshua generation. Because the Joshua generation was not just a group or a couple of our leader who was young leading people into a new place into the new thing God was doing, but it was an old person or an older person leading the children of Israel into God's new thing. Did you get that? It was an older person leading the children of Israel into God's new thing. Caleb and Joshua were senior citizens. Your ability, I want to say this and I want you to hear me, your ability to remain relevant has little to do with your age and much to do with your ability to continue to follow God into new territory with fresh faith. Yeah, that's what they did. Their, their bodies were aging, but their spirits were vibrant. One of the things that kept Moses in the wilderness and didn't allow him to go in the promised land, the Bible said his, his, his eyes were not dim nor his vigor abated. He could see well and he was strong. What kept him from going into the promised land was not that he was a senior citizen and God wanted younger people to do it. What kept him from going into the promised land was that he kept trying to use old methods for new places. God told him the first time, speak to the rock, strike the rock, and water will come out. The second time, he told him to speak to the rock, and water would come out. He tried to strike the rock the second time. He brought his old method into a new place. God said, I can't use you up here. It wasn't his age. It was his spiritual rigidity. But Joshua, as a senior citizen, leads the children of Israel into the promised land. Because he continued on hearing from God, moving into new territory with fresh faith. Here, as Peter's standing giving this message in the book of Acts, he speaks not only to cultural divides, and to gender divides. As he declares, we're one in Christ, but then that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. He, he says there's a place for both the young and the old in this new thing that God is doing on the earth. Oh, I wish I had time, but that's why I love my church. That's why I love this house, because we have folks who are up in age, but they are open to the Spirit of God. We have young people that are stuck in their ways, but old people that are approaching new places with fresh faith, and God will always keep a place. God will always use you. God, it may be different than what he's doing with 
a younger generation. He may give them visions, but there's still a place for you to have your dreams. What is our theme again? He shows us that there's a place for both the young and the old alike in the household of God and in the kingdom of God. In his message, we see the work of the Spirit as one that breaks down barriers, divides hostilities, superiority complexes, power differentials, sexism, ageism, racism, and classism. Yeah, well, I praise God for the power of Pentecost to, to prophesy, to heal the sick, uh, to do miracles. There's a miracle I want to see in my generation. There is a miracle that my country and my land could use right now. And it's not simply raising more of the dead. We'll take that. It's not simply uh, prophesying more. We'll, we'll take that. It's not just laying hands on the sick and the sick recovering. We'll take that too. We need it all. But it's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit that, that breaks down these hostilities, that causes people that were divided to be able to come together. One that prevents people from looking down their noses at folks who are not their preference. That's the kind of release of the Holy Spirit I'm believing for, I'm praying for in this generation, at this moment, and at this Pentecost. Through every message our nation and world needed to hear in this moment, it is this one. The power and feeling of the Spirit is for now. And it's not only for working miracles, speaking with divine authority, healing the sick and the brokenhearted, but also for closing divides making us one, not only in spirit, but in practice. And so, Father God, we ask on this Pentecost that you fill us afresh. God, you didn't just feel, as we look at the book of Acts, your people on one occasion or one time, but they are to, to be filled continually by your presence, to be filled to fullness in you. We need your power. We need your power to give us wisdom beyond our own learning. We need your power to, to give us clarity and accuracy of speech. We need your power to recall your words, just the right words in our moments of need. We need your power to remind us that we're not alone. We're sons and daughters of God. We need your power to prophesy boldly. We need your power to teach and to preach. We need your power, Father God, to do the work of the ministry. And we need your power to love one another as you've loved us. We need your power to draw us together 
When polarizing forces are seeking to pull us apart, we need your power. When internet algorithms have become proficient at causing us to hear in our own silos and echo chambers with confirmation bias, Lord, we need you to break in and bring unity. We need you to supernaturally break in and cause us to connect where there's been disconnection, to see truth where there has been lies. We need your power and your presence to break down oppression, sexism, ageism, let everyone that has breath in their body and belongs to you know that they have a place in the household. There are no VIPs and cheap seats. There is no coach in first class. But your declaration was that you would pour out your spirit on all flesh without discrimination. Now may the same spirit that fills us all cause us to do likewise. And we'll give you glory for it, God. Honor and praise in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're listening and don't have a church family, church home, we would love for this to be your church family, your church home. I would love to be your pastor. And I'll connect you, we'll connect with you while you're still watching online. You don't have to wait until the door is open, but there's a a link right there you can click if you want to connect with Antioch and make this place your church family, church home. If you're here or listening and you've never made Christ the Lord, the Savior of your life, that is the beginning of all things spiritual. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is preceded by making Christ the Lord, the Savior of your life. And you want, if you want to know about more, more about what that means, I want you to click on that link in the thread. Then finally, if you need prayer, have any prayer requests, we pray seven days a week. We have a prayer team that is committed to praying for you. You just click on that link, fill out your information. They're not going to bother you. They're not going to harass you, but they're going to commit to praying until something changes. So until next week, Father, we thank you for bringing love in every believing heart, the peace in every believing mind, the breath in every believing spirit, and the life in every believing soul. And we say, may the saving grace of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the sweet communion of his precious Holy Spirit, rest, rule, and abide now, henceforth, and forever as we're becoming more like Christ and our environments are becoming more like heaven. It will matter that we lived. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.